Today, for the mercy of Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur, or Param Guru, or Param Param Guru, depending on which part of the tree you're sitting on. And may His Divine Grace descend upon us by hearing upon it, about Him, and may we uh, work to fulfill His mission in this world. The character of all Vaishnavas is profound and unfathomable. Yet each manifests divine traits in different degrees and in different ways. For instance, Srila Ramananda Roy fully conquered lust. Sri Damodar Pandit was famed for his objective criticism. Sri Haridas Thakur personified forbearance. And Sri Sanatan Goswami and Sri Rupa Goswami were exceptionally meek and humble. Srila Saraswati Thakur was focused, tenacious, and staunch. Like his guru, Srila Gorkishore Das Babaji, he was steadfast in renunciation and bhajan. Despite being raised in middle-class comfort, his innate tendency was toward austerity. As an ideal acharya, he never compromised his practice of devotional principles. He carefully observed the details of sadhana bhakti such as always wearing tilak, regularly chanting the Mahamantra on beads and reciting Gayatri and attending artis. He rose early each morning, usually before anyone else, and rarely napped during the day. Being a nitya there was no need for Srila Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur to follow such ordinances meant for the uplift of neophytes. Yet he did so to set an example for and induce faith within his disciples and the public at large. He averred that if he were not exemplary, no one would obey him. Whatever he asked of others, he himself followed. Had he relaxed his standards even slightly, Prakrita Sahajyas would have taken that as an excuse to continue whimsically neglecting the scripturally, scripturally prescribed regulations of devotional service. Srila Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur often quoted from Mundaka Upanishad 1-12 the terms Shotriya, learned in Shastra as received in Guru Prampara, and Brahmanishta, fully dedicated to Godhead, emphasizing that these qualifications are necessary for a genuine Guru, and that one who has them, one who has them will naturally also be of irreproachable character. By personally fulfilling these criteria, he established the scriptural standard for accepting the role of guru. 
Moreover, his inestimable qualities distinguished him as a transcendental giant fit to be addressed as Jagat Guru. As Srila Sanatan Goswami had told Srila Haridas Thakur, Apani achari keha, nakari prachar, prachar korina keha, nakarina achar, acharya prachar namira kara dui karu, tumi sarva guru tumi jagatera aro. Some devotees follow the practices of bhakti but do not preach, whereas others preach but do not practice properly. By your behavior and preaching, you simultaneously perform both duties in relation to the holy name. You are the guru of the whole world, for you are the most advanced devotee in the world. That from Sri Chaitanya Charitamrita 3, 4, 1, 0, 2. 3 means Antyalila. Srila Saraswati Thakur was intense, and he intensely desired that everyone he came in contact with, and indeed the entire universe, embrace his mood of unremitting dedication to Krishna. His personality was permeated with utter rejection of anything smacking of worldliness. And because his nigh insistence that others similarly abandon all attachments and fully surrender to Krishna resembled the attack of an aggressor, he was often misunderstood by those he sought to help. Srila Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati's very presence inspired awe. His glance was so powerful and penetrating that few could bear it. His every movement and gesture expressed extraordinary inner strength. Many smug persons became humbled and submissive simply by entering his presence, as did Maharaj Adiraj Vijay Chanda Bahadura of Burdwan, who related, I often went to see Srila Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati and naturally bowed at his lotus feet whenever I did. Yet at one point I considered, I am the great Maharaj of Burdwan. Among all the highly respected people in Bengal society, none is more famous and respected than I. Who is this sadhu in comparison to me? Why should I prostrate before him? Next time I won't, and I'll watch how he reacts. On my next visit, I barged in on him and blurted, I have something to say to you. But before I could speak further, my head automatically went down to the floor in front of him. I was unable to wait to see his response to my rudeness. The canon governing Srila Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati's life was Krishnarte Akila Cheshta. Everything should be done for Krishna. That quotation is from the Chaitanya Charitamrita Madhya 22.126. Always busy satisfying Krishna in innumerable ways, he unwaveringly personified that maxim. Day and night, wherever he happened to be, Srila Saraswati Thakur was constantly absorbed in topics of Krishna. After his heart condition manifested, when people would ask, how are you? He often replied, I am all right, but Kunja Prabhu does not indulge me in Harikata, hence I am unwell. He had no interest even in bathing in the ocean at Puri or in holy rivers, for he considered such activities a diversion from his life engagement of immersion in bhajan, preaching and writing. 
Although he manifested different moods at different times, he was always thinking of Krishna and was never frivolous, mundane, or mediocre. Occasionally he became pensive and withdrawn. Sometimes he spoke so ferociously that others became unnerved and tremulous. When delivering Harikata to his students, he was formal and grave. Thank you very much. Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati exemplified Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's statement that wherever the eyes of one with Krishna Prema fall, he sees only Krishna. Even when observing the apparently prosaic activity of plowing fields, Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati respectfully accepted it as an udipana for service to Krishna because produce from the mat soil was for offering to Krishna and his devotees, and plowing is a reminder of Baladeva Sankarshan, the primeval holder of a plow. Udipana means something that sparks in you a, a feeling of devotion. Sometimes an example Prabhupada gives is that if you're a parent and the parent sees little tiny shoes of a beloved daughter on the doorstep, then immediately love wells up in the heart. You feel, oh, my daughter. So Udipana is sometimes someone sees a conch, conch shell and then thinks of Krishna uh, or sees a peacock fan and then thinks, oh, Krishna wears peacock feathers and it suddenly stimulates in him or her this surge of uh, feeling for Krishna. This is Udipana. When in mountainous areas such as Shilong, Masorji, Darjeeling, or Uttachumand, his thought, hope, hope I didn't, um, um, okay, Shilong? Yes, that's correct. Musuri. Masuri. Masuri. Darjeeling, I know, and Uttachamud. I do not know. Anyone? Okay. His thoughts inevitably turned to Govardhan, and with great enthusiasm, he would continuously douse his companions with Harikata, pertaining to that most sacred of hills. His, this pure, natural, spontaneous, intense, and uninterrupted attachment for Sri Sri Radhakrishna was Srila Saraswati Thakur's inherent and focal uh, liniment, which combined with his ability and fervent desire to give Krishna to others revealed him to be an intimate associate of Lord Chaitanya, come to this plane to execute his mission. As he expressed, quote, if a poor man takes the guise of a philanthropist, he can give away only as much as he personally possesses. But the eternal treasure of the Vaishnav is directly Narayan. If Narayan gives himself, he holds a little back but the Vaishnav can give Narayan completely. He who possesses genuine knowledge of the whole entity, Krishna, is totally devoted to serving Krishna in all ways. And there is nothing comparable to the lotus feet of such a person. I'll read it one more time and then Havi Prabhu, if you want to give an explanation. If a poor man takes the guise of a philanthropist, he can give away 
only as much as he personally possesses. But the eternal treasure of the Vaishnav is directly Narayan. If Narayan gives himself, he holds a little back. But the Vaishnav can give Narayan completely. He who possesses genuine knowledge of the whole entity Krishna is totally devoted to serving Krishna in all ways, and there is nothing comparable to the lotus feet of such a person. Any? <clears throat> What the, the impact of, of, of Narayan having a bag, and that's all he can give. It's what, it's the sweetest part of this. And Narayan has a little bag, is that what I understand? And therefore holds he holds a little bag. Uh, he holds back. I see it, so I didn't understand it. Okay, he holds back, but the Vaishnava, he, he gives Narayan uh, completely. Yes, I, I mean, it's self, it is all there. Um, the, the, the love that, it's, that resides in the Vaishnava's heart is so big that the minimum he can do is to share the beauty and the greatness of Narayan. Um, what else can he do if he's enjoying constantly inside his heart this treasure? but sharing uh, the beauty and the greatness of Krishna. That's amazing, yeah, because what's the first thing we do when we get something that's beautiful or that uh, charms us? We share it with other people because, <laughs> because it's like if you don't have somebody to share it with, yeah. then uh, you can't really enjoy it yourself just individually I was also thinking about how as mentioned in the six qualities of devotional service there's first is uh, that uh, pure devotional service immediately frees one from all distress it's the beginning of all auspiciousness it puts one in transcendent pleasure it is uh, rarely achieved uh, it is um those in uh, pure devotional service deride even the conception of liberation, and it's the only way to attract Krishna. Those are the six that uh, Rupa Goswami mentions at the beginning of the Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. And one of them is uh, interesting, it's that it's rarely achieved. Because mm. we hear all the time how devotional service is easily achieved if you just say Hare Krishna or Nityananda Gore, and then uh, you're, you're infused with spiritual benefit. So it's explained in that section of the Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu that most people get to asakti, or it's very rare to get to asakti, which is the precursor to bhava. And in order to get to prema, you have to have bhava. But asakti takes a long time, because first of all, it means that you have to be exclusively devoted. You have no other consideration except for uh, serving Krishna, you're totally attached to Krishna. But uh, the reason that Krishna hesitates is because when he gives pure devotional service, he's giving himself. And it means that he's giving himself to be controlled by the devotee. That's mentioned in 
the Bhagavatam in the 10th canto, 14th chapter, where uh, Brahma says, Jnani Priyasa Murapasya Namante Eva Jivanti San Mukaritam Bhavadiya Vartam Stanestita Shutikatam Tanavanmano Bir Eprayaso Jitta Jito Pyasitaistri Lokyam that he, he advises that everyone give up any other process except for pure devotional service. He said, don't try to uh, reach Krishna through your own speculative process. Just completely surrender yourself, especially to the process of hearing. Stanistita, shuti monobir means that whatever situation you're in now, just hear add that to your life. And then he said, by that process of submissive hearing, then jitta, jito, ajita, Krishna is known as a jitta because he's unconquerable. He becomes jitta or conquered. And how's he conquered? By the love that somebody develops from hearing about him. So that's one of the reasons that he's rarely achieved is because he's hesitant to bestow that upon others because then they control him with their love. However, I w- it just struck me in this passage that devotees don't have that hesitation. As you pointed out, they have that love for Krishna in their heart and they want to share it with everybody. But whereas Krishna is a little hesitant of giving himself, the devotees are like, no, take, take. <laughs> it reminds me when Prabhupada first came to New York. In Mukunda Goswami's book, he talks about the first feast he went to where Prabhupada was serving uh, himself. He, was, he cooked and then he served all the preparations himself right out of the pots. And he walked around serving everybody. And Mukunda Maharaj said that Prabhupada walked around and he, his mantra was, take, take. <laughs> he kept saying, take, take. <laughs> and Mukunda Maharaj said, he had never heard anything like that before, you know, or seen anything like so the get the host walking around making everyone take more. Take, take. And so, like Havi Prabhu was saying, the devotees always uh, full-heartedly giving Krishna, whereas Krishna may hold back a little bit. But the devotee, if you get around the devotee, it's much easier to get Krishna because he's got him. That's why uh, Bhaktivinoda Thakur sings, you have Krishna. You can give them to me. So I'm running behind you saying, you know, please give me this. Excuse me. It's the mango pickle. <laughs> I can't resist it. They gave me, I said, give me more mango pickle. Take, take, take. Take, take, take. take. <laughs> you were going to say, Prabhu. How did you know that I was going to say, Prabhu? Yeah. Um, I didn't really show any symptom, that? but no, yeah. it's, it, it is so. Uh, but why, why, why would Krishna hold his love, uh, give him, giving himself, and then only the, maybe to give the devotees the service to do that? Well, one, one thing is, in the sixth canto, Srila Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur comments about how it is that certain devotees take longer to, to come back to Godhead. For instance, Bharat Maharaj, he took three lifetimes. First of all, he had a, 
a little trace in him of karmakanda. He wanted to do some philanthropy. So when that opportunity came with the little deer, that impurity, that anarta in his heart, it flared up. And therefore, he had to take two more births to come to that point of like, no more. No more philanthropy, only devotional service. And so Srila Bhaktisiddhanta says that Krishna recognizes the heart of the pure devotee and knows that the pure devotee's objective is the highest thing. Doesn't want any mixture at all. And as you know, in the 10th canto, 14th chapter, 8th verse, Tatenu Kampam Susamikshamano, in the commentary by Vishnuach Chakravarti Thakur, uh, he says, that's Srila Vishnuach, that Krishna is expert at giving the devotee the specific kind of misery that will, it's targeted, like uh, in cancer right. research nowadays, they become a DNA technology, they, they create special cells, they combine them together just so it'll target other you know, specific parts of the, the cancer that's in the body. So Krishna's expert scientist, he knows specifically what's in the heart of the devotee, so he gives a kind of corresponding misery so the devotee will give up the last vestige of attachment to the material world. So it looks like he's being reluctant, but actually he's fulfilling the, the innermost desire of the devotee to, to have pure devotional service, even though there may be this conundrum that I want it, but I still I can't get rid of this, uh, this last attachment. So it looks like Krishna's drawing it out. Says Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur, but it's only to appease the devotee to give him exactly what he wants, which is pure devotional service. But the only explanation given is that I've heard uh, for the hesitancy on the other side is that he, he's giving himself. So it's a very confidential, personal thing. It's not automatic. He, he thinks about it. Like, don't we think about it before we re reveal our mind? The most intimate devotees that we are associated with, our best friends, then we may think, should I tell them or shouldn't I? Should I reveal this thing <laughs> or shouldn't I? And uh, it's a personal confidential relationship that we have with Krishna. And he doesn't fully expose himself unless he's absolutely sure that the person has the wherewithal to, you know, it's like people say, well, you have to develop faith in God. Well, God has to develop faith in you too. <laughs> Why, 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 why should it only go one way? Why shouldn't he also get the chance to check you out and say like, like wait, you better wait. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, Nirkul? Very nice explanation you gave Guru Maharaj about Srila Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur is explaining that Krishna is actually drawing out uh, pure devotion service, uh, but externally it may seem that he's not fulfilling that desire. So on similar lines, actually, that's like the reason you mentioned about hesitancy from Krishna's side. I was told uh, many years ago by Damodar Vamsidhari Prabhu that he gave the example that if Krishna gives himself um, without thinking, 
then he says then for him there's no option to you know back off or take a step back <laughs> so he said like he's giving to mother yashoda himself completely um, so that's why he also was explaining on similar lines the same explanation that you mentioned nice yes much to the point yes uh, just like prabhu said um, in damodar leela um, krishna reveals to those who are fully dedicated and uh, it has to be sadhaka's prayas that means his his uh, trying hard and then krishna delivers so it uh, it goes uh, that way if if the if the sadhak is fully surrendering then krishna reveals that's what i this is an excellent point and especially from the leela krishna noted that yashoda was perspiring and indicated her hard work trying to tie him up and shilavishna chakravarti thakur says the, the rope being two inches too short the leela is that krishna stole butter and then ran away and his mother tried to catch him and finally did tie him up okay so then two inches represents one inch the endeavor of the devotee and the other inch krishna's noticing the endeavor and then giving himself to the devotee so there's that reciprocity okay i'll read a little more shall i dynamic resolute and compelling shila saraswati thakur was determined to give krishna to a world enthusiastic to receive him he optimistically embarked on projects that in ordinary estimation seemed unachievable and persevered until realizing them for him the word impossible did not exist and upon receiving an order from him no disciple considered pleading impossible indeed his disciples regarded shila saraswati thakur as empowered with transcendental potency for overcoming the multiple hurdles that unceasingly arose as had been indicated by a narrow escape just provenient to his widespread preaching career prior to renting the house at one ultadanga junction road early one morning shila saraswati thakur set out with kunja bihari prabhu and ananta vasudev prabhu to inspect it walking along the footpath he was just about to step under a shop awning when it suddenly crashed down in front of him its prop having been slightly impacted by a car had it collapsed even a second later it would have landed on his head ananta vasudev prabhu later commented who knows whether this dramatic performance of being mysteriously saved from an unthinkable event and imminent danger on the day of starting an auspicious undertaking for founding shri bhaktivinod asana was a harbinger of the future history of the godiamat the very day on which the initial preparations for establishing a center for propagating actual truth around the universe were made our gurudev made us understand the shastriya proclamations shriyamsi bahu vignani many obstacles arise in auspicious activities and shri bhakti marg iha kanta koti rudha in this world the path of devotion is beset with millions of thorns 
To propagate the truth, one must be ready to take the burden of numerous varied perils, if not to place one's life verily at verily, if not to place one's very life at stake. As the morning speaks for the day, so did our Guru Maharaj predict the future of Gaudiamat preaching by staging his pastime to indicate that we should be ready. Srila Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati's legendary powerful personality defied modish accusations that bhakti was for timorous weaklings and effeminates. Yet despite his hard exterior, he was so extraordinarily humble that he often described himself as a fallen soul and would request blessings from his disciples or even from common people. He would join his palms and say, Dasos me, I am your servant. I am a servant to whomever, to whoever approached him, even before they would offer him respect. No one was allowed to touch his feet, not even young boys. Whenever anyone tried to do so, Srila Bhaktisanatha Saraswati would stretch out his long arms to restrain him, saying, Dasos me. He prohibited even his initiated disciples from touching his feet. Srila Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati uh, edatically, just seeing if this has a dictionary, edatic, adjective from psychology relating to or denoting mental images having unusual vividness and detail as if actually visible. As a noun, a person able to form or recall Edetic images, edetically. So again, Srila Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati's edetically remember, edetically remember the names of all his disciples and others he had met. Often when returning to a place, even after a long time, he would ask by name for certain individuals he had previously met there. Srila Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati was punctilious in receiving visitors. Whenever he received a letter stating that a person was scheduled to arrive on a certain date and time, he would arrange that one or two brahmacharis meet the guest at the station. Even if the visitor knew the way or had not asked for help, still Srila Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati would send someone. Once a guest arrived at the mat late at night and requested Mahaprasad, but was told that there was none. Chanting japa on the veranda close by, Srila Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati heard that and ordered, see that he gets Mahaprasad. He has come late at night hungry. Prepare something for him, at least flat rice. Nor was Srila Saraswati Thakur's concern for others limited to those in human form. In Sajjana Toshini, he featured articles denouncing the cruelty of and lauding efforts to curb hunting and cow slaughter. And when in April 1919, he was traveling by horse cart in a rural area of Midnapur district, the driver repeatedly beat the horses all along the eight to 10 mile route. Srila Saraswati Thakur strongly objected and adjured the local inhabitants to prevent such mistreatment from happening ever again. Such compassion was intrinsic to this great personage who, has de who had dedicated his existence for relieving all living beings of suffering. 
Thus, the character of Srila Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati can be properly understood only in terms of his overwhelming desire to propagate Shuddha Bhakti. 2. The Revolutionary Preacher of Truth The spiritually minded will judge how many major revolutions in history compare to the revolutionary preaching by the Gaudiya Mat against the materialistic thought patterns of the world. Srila Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati inherited the urge to preach from his father and mentor, Srila Bhaktivinoda Thakur. Energized by the Thakur's vision of Shuddha Bhakti, diffusing throughout the globe, Srila Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati had an unrelenting drive to deliver Shuddha Bhakti to all jivas in the universe, and even to those beyond it. He wanted to capture the whole territory of Maya and convert it to Krishna consciousness. He could not tolerate that there would be any place devoid of Krishna Bhakti. Not restricted within the cultural horizon of Bengal, he wanted to annihilate misconceptions at all levels in all cultures of human society and implement full-fledged theism everywhere. That's in quotations, full-fledged theism everywhere. Even though seemingly impossible, he took it as his duty to spread Shruta Bhakti by all means and at any cost. To establish Lord Chaitanya's mission, the fetters of caste, ritual, and indeed all pre-existing stereotypes and dogmas would have to be demolished. Hence, Srila Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur inevitably became a revolutionary. His efforts were concentrated in a Bengal where Gaudiya Vaishnavism had lost its original dynamism and from the ethnological perspective had transmuted into yet another component of the vast hetero heterogeneous mosaic, mosaic known as Hinduism. Although widespread Vaishnava Dharma was enveloped by a thick fog of nations, having become synonymous with artificial shows of ecstasy, mantras imparted for money, flesh-eating devotees, quote-unquote, cheaters competing to be lauded as avatars, Siddha Pranali initiation for the asking and descriptions of the amorous pastimes of Sri Sri Radha Krishna bandied about like cheap market gossip. In this way, Prakrita Sahajyas had etiolated. Hold on. I mean, please wait one. A. Of a plant pale and drawn out due to lack of light. Idiladid mung bean seedlings. Having lost vigor or substance, feeble tone, bedilated nostalgia. Origin 8th century from the verb etiolate, from French etiolate from Nor Norman French, grown into hullum, id. So basically it means to become paler, paler, drawn out, to lose vigor. Thick fog of nations flesh-eating, 
Siddha Pranali, banding about. In this way, Prakrita Sahajas had dilated the movement of Lord Chaitanya into a foolish and immoral travesty of Vaishnava Dharma. Srila Saraswati Thakur had to reestablish the genuine parampara which had all but vanished. To purge the Gaudiya lineage, lineage of impurities, he publicly decried ecclesiastical and social conventions that were suffocating Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's Sampradaya. Animated with the heroic spirit of Hanuman in opposing Ravana, Srila Saraswati Thakur committed himself to a lifetime of struggle against the beneficiaries of the rotten status quo. Preaching meant fighting. Although Indian society had traditionally been deeply religious, Srila Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati insisted that mere theocentric theocentricity was not sufficient. Thus he openly criticized beliefs and practices held sacral by most Hindus, such as impersonalism and demigod worship. With unfaltering determination, he uninhibitedly cudgeled various misrepresentation of Vaishnava Dharma, business in the name of religion, casteism, atheism, Western cultural chauvinism, sensualism posing as spirituality, and innumerable forms of opinionative, opinionative and deviant philosophies, whatever fell short of pure devotion to Krishna. Opinionative, opinionative. It's a nice word, isn't it? Mm -hmm. This was in accord with the intrinsic purport of Srimad Bhagavatam, which singularly among scriptures established the topmost understanding of the Supreme Lord and the individual soul's relationship with him and expounded Dharma Prochita Kaitava, complete rejection of religious principles that are selfishly motivated. Holding that every word of Srimad Bhagavatam outweighs any other opinion, past, present, or future, Srila Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati likened all religious processes, save that given in Bhagavatam to jars of poison with a little milk floating on top, and composed a distich. That's the way Maharaj wrote deliberately to confound people like me. <laughs> Prosody, a pair of, okay, distich. It's pronounced distich and a pair or verse lines, a couplet, distic, from Greek, a measure of two lines. D means twice, and stikos, line, distic. Okay, so again, Shilat Bhaktisanta Saraswati likened all religious processes, say that given in Bhagavatam to jars of poison with a little milk floating on top. <laughs> Would you like some poison <laughs> with a little milk floating on top? <laughs> and composed a distich based on Bhagavatam's rejection of motivated religious practices. Priti biti jata kata dharma nama chale Bhagavata kohe taha parapurna chale Bhagavatam states that whatever in the world is passing as dharma is actually wholesale deception. Srila Saraswati Thakur lived for truth and like a valiant warrior 
never hesitated to attack the myriad manifestations of falsity, personifying the spirit of Srimad Bhagavatam by insisting that the highest truth is reality distinguished from illusion for the welfare of all. He effectively sifted out the real form from the unreal, the servant of the real from the servant of the unreal, the Vaishnav from the non-Vaishnav. He never countenanced the slightest deviation from the truth, not even by the most eminent or nearest and dearest persons, and would detect, expose, and dissect even the subtlest presence of fallacy in theories and statements that to others appeared entirely plausible. And held, he held that all prevalent so-called truths point only to a limited ideal formulated by subjective projection, and thus are actually untruths and impasses in realizing the truth. He exhorted, do not try to discover the nature of truth by the exercise of your imagination. Do not endeavor to attain the truth through experience of this world. Do not manufacture truth in order to satisfy your erring inclinations or hastily accept anything for the reason that it satisfies such inclinations. Do not regard as truth anything that has been built up or has the support of a majority of people like yourself, nor as untruth anything that is rejected by the overwhelming majority. According to the scriptures, there will be found hardly one in a crore of human beings who really worships the truth. What is proclaimed by the un, what is, what is proclaimed by the united voices of all the people of this world as truth may turn out to be false. Therefore, cease to confront the truth in a challenging mood. Therefore, cease to confront the truth in a challenging mood. The truth is not brought into existence by such arrogance. One has to approach the truth in the spirit of absolute submission. It is necessary to listen to truth. Truth is self-revealing and only when it is pleased to reveal itself can its actual nature be known to us and not otherwise. He explained why broadcasting the truth was rare, was rare. Everyone is eager for adoration by others, not for the absolute truth. Those who make a show of being preachers do not disturb mankind, but rather maintain everyone's present mentality while busily protecting their own existence. Therefore, there is no propagation of the truth since one's popularity is not served by speaking or hearing the truth. Pure items are rare and not easily attainable, and so are not much appreciated. Similarly, there is no respect for those who do not misguide people, but are busy trying to Sankirtan and Harikata to turn them toward the Lord. At present, it is fashionable to be cheated by those who in the name of Dharma misguide people. Real devotees do not speak to satisfy their audiences. They do not cheat people. Rather, pure devotees reveal the defects of cheaters who love to compromise. Only fortunate persons learn to be cautious after hearing the words of saints. Although the words of, a genuine, of genuine devotees may appear to contradict our present taste and experience, nonetheless, they are most auspicious for us. Anybody have 
Any reactions, comments, questions? From so far? I, I was wondering what, who wrote this? What, where, who is writing this? This is Bhakti Vikas Maharaj. Oh, British Devotee? Yeah. It's a, uh, the entire biography. It's two volumes altogether. Yeah, and it, it sounds like uh, when uh, Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati is called lion creature, right? Mm. And vestiges of those of that attitude was clearly uh, revealed by Srila Prabhupada or inherited by him. I I heard at one point in one event in Los Angeles, one devotee was contradicting Prabhupada in one of his yeah. <clears throat> that one of his disciples were, was contradicting Prabhupada or arguing against what he was saying. And Prabhupada got so strong that eventually the disciple fainted. Seemingly, this is an old man who is just, you know, has a cane and so on. But watch out, you know. He was, he was a the disciple of Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati. Yeah. Do you want to hear a little more? Yes? Yes? yes. You're not suffering, right? Oh, no. Okay. Hence, a major focus of Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati's preaching was to expose cheating in all forms especially in the spheres of philosophy and religious practice. He denounced as hypocritical all varieties of religion practice without the intention of surrendering to Krishna, such as those meant to improve moral, social, or intellectual life, or promote an irenic ambience. Irenic or irenic, either way aiming or aimed at peace, a part of Christian theology concerned with reconciling different denominations and sects. Sects. Origin from Greek, Irenikos, from Irene, peace. So, such as those meant to improve moral, social, or intellectual life or promote an Irenic ambience conducive to genteel sense gratification in this world, those aimed at enjoying enhanced sensual delights in a future birth, or even those aspiring for spiritual liberation, but devoid of devotion to Krishna. He presented religion not as a palliative for the pangs of material existence, but as the acquired alternative to it. He was not interested in becoming famous or respected in merely creating a good impression or in becoming a religious icon. He preached to establish Gaudiya Siddhanta to uphold the dignity of the authentic Gaudiya Sampradaya 
and to convince others of the overwhelming necessity of accepting Krishna Bhakti. Srila Saraswati Thakur refused to be molded by popular demand into the stereotyped sadhu of flowery beatitude, passing a halcyon existence and doling out benedictions in exchange for contributions. Nearly all people who approach sadhus seek peace, reassurance, and relief from the bruises of life, expecting blessings for solving their material problems and to facilitate unobstructed sense indulgence. Such individuals do not want to expect, do not want or expect a sadhu to force his way into their phantasmagoria and reveal their life to be in need of wholesale reform. But Srila Saraswati Thakur was a different grade of sadhu, like a lotus which lives in water but remains above it. He moved in human society but was unaffected by it. Even numerous sadhus of his day, most of whom sequestered themselves from the world and its turbulence, could not understand his approach to spiritual life. Srila Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati considered that his responsibility as a sadhu was to slash others' misconceptions. Although persons who lead serene lives of study and prayer but do not preach may be regarded as saintly, they cannot be compared to devotees who go out to confront all opposing elements and fight for Krishna. And even among preachers, many prefer to adopt a soft line, averting conflict by not disturbing others' false egos. Sadhus were, were expected to be mild and non-judgmental, avoiding causing annoyance to others and promoting concord by recognizing all opinions as equally tenable. Hmm. But Srila Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur deemed such liberalism another form of deception, a self-serving acceptance born of fear and retribution. In other words, refraining from pointing out others' misdoings lest oneself become subjected to assessment. He parodied, parodied, parodied the hypocrisy inherent in such mutual social acquiescence by saying, mind be cut, tum be chup, tum be chup, sorry, mind be chup, tum be chup. Do you know that one? No. You all know that? Yeah. All be quiet, you be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> Srila <laughs> Saraswati Thakur was not for sectarian coexistence, conciliation, or, or syncretism. His sole means for bridging the abyss between others and himself was to exhort them to come to his side. He spoke against mushy tolerance of nonsensical ideas in the name of ecumenism, which he anyway took as, an, as a nebulous and impossible dream unless people were prepared to forswear uh, miscellaneous rubrics of cheating religion and simply surrender unto Krishna. He expostulated against that style of utopian concility so cherished by worldly idealists who aimed at attuning all streams of human thought within an inclusive, tolerant, pluralistic, open-minded ethos in defiance of Krishna, as capsulized in Ramakrishna's catchy jingle, all are approaching the absolute in diverse ways. Srila Saraswati Thakur 
countered this by stating that those who worship in a, on assorted religious paths cannot possibly serve Bhagavan. He taught that real harmonizing is achievable only by aligning with Krishna, whereby everyone's actual self-interest would, would automatically be fulfilled, and that any other attempts for consent... One second. Haha. <laughs> Not available on Wikipedia. That's good. That makes me feel better. <laughs> Dictionary, no definition found. Thanks, Maharaj. Okay, <laughs> however seemingly noble, would merely engender further envy, rivalry, and competition, and thus were actually disjunctive and ungodly. You're being a bit disjunctive, Mirkula. Srila <laughs> Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati, dubbed as Suto, latitudinarianism, the impersonalistic attempt to obfuscate or make light of meaningful differences, such as those between genuine and watered-down dharma, and considered it to be based on what he termed chit-jud, saman-vayavad, trying to conflate material with spiritual, which he compared with the endeavor to inosculate gold and stone. Do you do that? Know how to put intertwine gold and stone? Inosculate. Join by intertwining or fitting closely together. How can sat and asat, devotee and non-devotee, pious and sinful, literate and illiterate, demigod and supreme lord, chaste and unchaste, dharma and undharma, light and darkness, constitutional and conditional, bhakti and abhakti, be homogolous. Homologous. Homogolous. Homogolous. Yeah, I said it right the first time, having the same relation. Homogolous. Like analogous, but homogolous. I'm going to use that in class next time. <laughs> Everything seems all right to those unmindful of the tidings of the internal reality who cannot, en cannot enter into its highly subtle, subtle understanding. An ignorant boy may claim that his illegible script has meaning because that of an intelligent person has meaning. And one who has not regard, and one who does not regard scrawl and meaningful writing as equal will be accused of sectarianism or partiality by the foolish. Now that's one of my favorite statements right there. I'm going to read it again if I may. Might I? Yes. Okay, here we go. Ready? An ignorant boy may claim that his illegible script has meaning because that of an intelligent person has meaning. And one who does not regard scrawl and meaningful writing as equal will be accused of sectarianism or partiality by the foolish. Do you like it? Mm -hmm. Could you say what you like about it? Confusing at best. Well, it's saying here basically that, okay, so the analogy is a child. And the child is uh, scribbling away. So it says, okay, then there's a, there's a reasonable and well-educated adult there who's writing something. So the child's sitting here scribbling, 
That's what scrawl is, it's just nothing. And then the other person's writing something sensible. He says, well, we're both writing. It's the same. And if somebody comes along and says uh, that, no, it's yours is not meaningful. You're just scribbling. And the other person is writing something that's intelligible and important. And someone will say, you're being sectarian. How can you do that? You know, he's doing, and he's doing same, same thing. That's something that I can relate to, the way people uh, commonly say things like, well, this is my truth, that's your truth. I'm just expressing my truth, even if it has no basis in logic or uh, any kind of axiomatic origin. And it's just random. I say, oh, it's the same as yours. Is that, is that what you all took from it? Yes. You want to say more about it? I said, now that you explained it. Okay. It just seems so modern with the whole uh, mood of, you know, postmodernism and relativizing everything. And this uh, bent towards saying one truth is as good as another. It, it's all just an interpretation anyway. There's no absolute truth, basically. Mm -hmm. Everything's relative. Therefore, it's valid. Both are valid. Both are valid. Right. That's what they're saying. The little kid scribbling over here and the, the, the intellectual person writing something that's valuable. It's just the same. Chakradol is just waiting to hand the microphone. <laughs> He'll take it. I liked a couple of points. Initially, you, when you mentioned that Srila Bhakti Siddhanta, Saraswati Thakur Maharaj's glance is very powerful, um, that it was hard to behold. Yes. If you, could, if you could say some elaborate little bit more. Well, integrity is powerful. It's one of the intangibles, but it has its power. Uh, for instance, if, uh, I mean, there's the story about, uh, and I forget who's attributed to, but I'll just tell it, tell it in a generic way that the mother was worried about her child because he was eating too many sweets. So he took to the, to the local sadhu and said, could you instruct my child? Because he'll listen to you and won't listen to me. And the sadhu said, come back in three weeks. So he came back in three weeks and the sadhu said to the child, you don't eat so many sweets. And the child said, okay. And then the mother said to the sadhu on a sidebar, like, why did, why did it take three weeks for it? Couldn't you have just said that three weeks ago? And the sadhu said, yeah, but three weeks ago, I was eating too many sweets. Oh. <laughs> so I, I couldn't say it and have the power behind it. So I had, I had to restrain myself and discipline my own activities to be able to say it. And so when somebody has when somebody has that integrity in his or her life, when he or she speaks, then it's palpable. In fact it's said in a poetical way by Prithu Maharaj in the fourth canto of the Bhagavatam that when a peer devotee speaks, there's a noticeable change of heart in the listener because and this is the poetical part, 
the sound vibration touches Krishna's lotus feet. And on Krishna's lotus feet, there's saffron particles. And then the sound vibration gets mixed with these saffron mercy particles, SMP. And then when it goes in the ear, it transforms the heart because it has a different quality because sound carries consciousness. If somebody ever said to you, I don't like your tone of voice, then you know what I'm talking about because there's a way that somebody's thinking and then it comes out in the tone. So the countenance of somebody who's all in and is actually following is different from somebody who's kind of in. And they're always holding, like he's pointing out here uh, that somebody who doesn't want to change their, uh, doesn't want to give up their stake in the material world, they're hesitant to really lean into the, to the, the truth because then if somebody accepts it, then they also have to give up their stake. There's that story about when Lord Shingade was fighting with Hirani Kashipu and Nishringadev drops him. He had grabbed him, but then he dropped him. Prabhupada explains because like a cat plays with a mouse, he likes to play play with it for a while before he devours it. Let's it go, catches it, lets it go, takes it again. So so the demigods were watching the fight and they wanted their sense gratification back. Every one of them had some kind of stake in the material world. And when they were watching and Hirani Kashipu got free, they were thinking, oh no, he might actually win this. And not only that, he saw us watching and cheering on the Shingade. So it's gonna be twice as bad when he gets out of this, if he wins. And the reason they were afraid was because they had a stake in it for themselves. And that's why they were afraid. But if somebody doesn't have any stake in the material world, then they're unstoppable. Because the only thing that can slow us down is our own attachment to the material world. I have a little chip in the game here somewhere. Keep it in my back pocket to pull out at the right time. And therefore, I can't be all in. But if somebody's given that up, then when they look at you, there's this transmission that is palpable. It's coming from the subtle and manifesting into our consciousness because that's the power of integrity. What do you think? Any last points? Reminds me of the story of Sanatana Goswami. Oh, please tell. About the story of Sanatana Goswami when he had just the last coin, right? He had a... Oh, oh, yeah, 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 okay. Well, he didn't have it. Ishana had it, right? So when Sanatana Goswami escaped, then... Ishana, his servant, came with him and he was holding eight gold coins. Right? That's the yes, yes. You want to tell? No, no, I, I don't know it well. Okay, so they were going through the mountains clandestinely because he was a political prisoner and he was trying to escape. 
So a servant came along, but the servant, unlike Sanatan Goswami, brought some insurance money, eight gold coins he put in his pocket. So when they got to this kind of seedy inn in the hills on the way to freedom, they checked in and the host was obsequious. He was treating them like best friends and they had never met. And Sanatan Goswami was a great statesman. He'd been around a while. <laughs> and so he knew something's wrong. Too much devotion is a sign of a thief, probably used to say. So then he, he found out, uh, he asked Ishana, he said, do you have anything valuable with you? You see that the, the innkeeper had an astrologer who checked them out when they came in and there's something called prashna, a certain time of day when the people walk in and all the signs at that time, you can tell what's going on. And the innkeeper was a dacoit. He was going to kill him for the money. So he was just trying to get him to be off their guard and then he would take the money. So Sanat Goswami preemptively said, do you have any uh, valuable thing with you? And Ishana said, yes, I have seven gold coins. He actually had eight. So Sanatana said, give them to me. So Ishana hands him seven gold coins, and Sanatana Goswami takes it to the innkeeper and says, this is for you. And the innkeeper, what are you talking? And he said, no, no, you take this, because if you don't take it, somebody else is going to kill me for it. And the innkeeper said, well, truth be known, I was going to kill you for it. <laughs> and I'm really glad you handed it over, because I see you're actually a saintly person. And I'm glad you saved me for the sin. And he said, because I had my astrologer check it out, and he knew you had eight gold coins. And so Sanatana went back to Ishan and he said, you have any more? He said, yeah, I have one gold coin. He said, you take that, go home. And then Sanatana turned around and headed for the hills by himself, completely free, everything else, all other obligations cut, no more uh, attachment to hold him back. And it's right at that point when he felt like the sense of exhilaration because he was free to go to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, nothing holding him back anymore. That yeah. It's like last vestige is gone, right? Any last points? Any other comments about the reading in general? Anything online? Anybody home there? Uh, just Hare Krishna. Okay. Okay, anybody watching, make a comment because we're about to stop soon. I very much liked the way you explained the term Udipana. And you related um, how seeing gaunt and other part of Anila demands about Krishna. Yes. Yeah. Udipana. Your cool lady last points? Yeah. Oh, um, well, the inauguration of the newly renovated Altadanga uh, temple is on Shilavati Siddhanta's appearance. On Monday. On Monday, yeah. yeah. We should head down there for it. Yeah. <laughs> You're cool, like 
So now it goes for me, no more little coins left, just head out. <laughs> head out. That's one of my favorite pilgrimage places. In fact, it's my topmost favorite place. Where is it? Ultadunga, Ultadunga Junction Road in Calcutta. Oh, it's the place where Prabhupada first met Srila Bhaktisiddhanta. Srila mm. Bhaktisiddhanta had that place at Ultadunga Junction Road. It was actually a really degraded place. It was sort of a slum. And Srila uh, Bhaktisiddhanta had his headquarters there. That's when one of Prabhupada's friends from college had, Prabhupada said, dragged him to go there. And the same stones, stone stairs, that Prabhupada walked up when he went to meet his guru for the first time are still there. Same, same stones. They're refurbishing the whole thing, but they're keeping all of the original materials as much as possible in place. And the other ones, they're reproducing with the same method that the old kinds of uh, building materials were made out of. So we got a real thrill to go there and see the actual spot where Srila Bhaktisiddhanta was sitting and the actual stairs Prabhupada walked up when he went there to meet with Srila Bhaktisiddhanta. And in that place, at that time, when our Srila Prabhupada offered his obeisances to, to what he just thought was a saintly person, before he came back up from offering obeisances, Srila Bhaktisiddhanta was already giving him an instruction, some service, which was, you should spread this all over the world, especially to Western speaking countries because it's the, the greatest need in society and that's when uh, Prabhupada then argued that first India has to become independent because it was still under British rule and he had been part of the Gandhi movement to try to uh, get free from that and Srila uh, Bhaktisiddhanta said that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's movement is transcendental it doesn't wait for any other kind of arrangement it's completed in itself and it's the most perfect type of revolutionary activity that one could engage in. And then Prabhupada, when he left there, he had that order in his heart already. And he said at that moment he had accepted Srila Bhaktisiddhanta as his spiritual master. He was initiated by him 12 years later, but at that point he accepted him in his heart, and he also accepted the order he had given him, and it incubated there for many years until he had the wherewithal to uh, enact it later on. So I found that place to be in Udipana. The other place was in Chennai. It wasn't the place exactly, but it was, it's, uh, which ocean is right there in Chennai? Assyri. It's the uh, Black Sea. Anyway, I went there at night. It was rather dramatic because we went up to the seashore and the stars were out. Could, couldn't see the water till we got really close to it. And it was that the water was coming in in some waves. In Marina Beach? Yeah. Marina? Bay yeah. of Bengal. Bay of the Bengal. Bay of Bengal, that's what it was. We went there and someone said that uh, you know, Prabhupada had sailed out across the Bay of Bengal for, uh, for America. And just at that moment, you know, being there next to the water, 
just in proximity to the water that Prabhupada had set out on with such intentionality on the Jaladutta. It sort of it stunned me for a minute just standing there and feeling the the great the feeling the, the, the vastness of the ocean and the the grave mission that Prabhupada was on and how to, he had accepted it so many years ago and finally went out onto that ocean across America, it kind of hit me. You know, you hear the story all the time, but in that moment I, I felt it viscerally. That was kind of Udipana. Anything else? We need tech support on aisle three. Oh, you slide it. What happened? Radha Creep is asking, why is it so hard to give up material attachment? Radha Creep Prabhu is asking, why it's so hard to give up material attachment? Mm. Well, one reason is, if it was easy, then we'd stay and dabble in the material world and think I can get out of this no problem at any time. And then we wouldn't take spiritual life seriously. But for those who actually have some sincerity to become Krishna conscious, one of the realizations is about, about Anartas is, that was a weird sentence, I'm going to start over. For those who have the impetus, feel the need to get out of the material world and go back to Krishna, often, uh, I'm going to start over again. When one develops sincerity to become Krishna conscious, there's a simultaneous realization of how anartas are holding one back. I don't even notice it until I sincerely want to get out of the material world. I just think this is normal life. In fact, when one gets sadhu sangha, that's when one notices actually I'm left behind. These people have the real thing and I'm the fallen one in the room. Mm -hmm. And that's a stark realization followed by like, now how do I become like them? And then uh, when one begins bhajana kriya or since seriously practicing devotional service with regulation, then one comes into the ocean of anartha nivriti. It's a huge ocean that one has to cross in order to get the nishta or steadiness in devotional service. And in that ocean, there's uh, a revelation, and that is that a little bit of connection with the material world results in an inordinate amount of trouble. And that's important to know. And so that's one of the reasons it's so hard, partly because we're so small and the material world so the material nature is so potent because it comes from Krishna that we're when we know the implication and we see how difficult it has overcome, then we're, we're much more careful, increasingly more careful in how we interact with the material world. And that's necessary in order to become a fixed in devotional service. Vairagya vidya nija bhakti yoga shikshartha meka purusha purana Shri Krishna Chaitanya Sharira Dari Kripambudir Yasamaham Prabhadye. The devotees 
Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu came to teach this, that you, you have to be very serious in order to uh, come to the platform of pure devotional service. And whimsy means that I just do any old thing I want and still think I'm going to get the, res the, the pure result. It's a kind of insanity, and it also leads to cognitive dissonance, a malaise, a sense constant, of constantly being in anxiety because I know that I'm not all in. Did that answer the question, do you think, Kavi Prabhu? Would you yes, like to say more about it? No, there's nothing left to say. And just one last point. Okay, because we're running out of battery. Uh-oh, i got to make this quick. Let's see if I can do this. Prabhupada said once when someone asked why why are material desires so hard to overcome he's he said that actually it's not that they're so hard to overcome it's just that your will is weak and he gave the example of disease and keeping oneself healthy he said if you keep yourself healthy and your immune system is strong you won't fall sick and he said similarly if you keep yourself spiritually fit then you won't be overcome by material desires so it's not a matter of how it's not that they're that strong it's just that my will is weak Om Tat Sat. thanks everyone for joining us here in the what do we call this place? Yoga Hall and we should call it something else <laughs> not descriptive enough I mean it's got cow dung on the walls and bamboo what, do you, what should we call it Happy Prabhu? Transcendental Cottage. <laughs> Welcome for chats at the, at the Transcendental Cottage. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll see you again sometime soon. We haven't figured out the schedule yet. We're still wrangling with that.